All of us watched the Hard Rock Cafe Hotel collapse in uh, New Orleans. It looked good. It went up for a while, but with enough stress, added weight and pressure and time, it came down. It, its structure didn't have the integrity to hold the weight. Well, that happens in business, that happens in marriages, that happens in relationships, that happens in every area of life. If you don't build it right, in time, it might look good for a little bit, but in time, it collapses. So I want to talk about, in a minute, the purpose of storms in revealing how God builds. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. Jesus said, therefore, everybody who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came, the flood came, the wind blew, but it didn't fall down. Why? Because he had its foundation on a rock. But everybody who hears my words and refuses to do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The storm came and it blew and the floods and winds crashed against it and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. I can see just like you are with me. Oh, come on. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of the boring teachers of the law. Okay. How many of you remember that little nursery story we all grew up with, the three little pigs and the bad wolf? You know that. The first pig built his house out of straw. Second one built his house out of sticks. But the third pig, smart boy, built his house with brick. And the wolf blew and blew and blew and could not blow it down. Now, that nursery story illustrates a great point about how you build because the wolf came to all three of those houses. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about two houses, the one God builds, the wise man, the one everybody else builds, the foolish. Every storm, every trial, every flood, every enemy that attacks our house is a test to see whether or not God built it because what God builds gets attacked just as surely as what God doesn't build. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says there are two gates, a narrow gate, a wide gate. He said the wide gate looks good, but it leads to destruction. He said there are two ways, a narrow way, a broad way. The broad way is easy, but it's the wrong way. He said there are two kinds of prophets, true prophets, false prophets. So Jesus makes it clear there are really only two choices. If the Lord builds your house, it cannot fall. He guards it. But he says you labor in vain who try to build it any other way without the Lord. In Matthew 7, both houses look the same. They're identical. At least they look that way on the outside. But it's like two men or two marriages or two ministries. They all look the same externally, but under the surface is what you can't see. One has a foundation built on a rock. The other's built on sand. And we know who the rock is because Jesus told us when he spoke to Peter in Matthew 16 that upon the rock of the revelation of who Jesus is, he would build his church. R remember that God builds three ways, revelationally, relationally, and generationally. And every storm that comes will attack one of those three building blocks in whatever God is building in your life and mine. Every storm, every offense, every trial, every disappointment will attack the revelation of who Christ is, or it'll be an attack on your relationship, 
or an attack on your destiny to build something that's here after you're gone generationally. So I want to share on the purpose of the storm. The purpose of a storm in our lives is to reveal what is not built properly. That's all. The purpose of the storm will blow away anything not built right. God doesn't send every storm, but he's Lord over every storm, and he expects me to learn from the storm. Now, notice in this text in Matthew 7, the wise man's house had a storm just like the foolish man had a storm. Remember what Jesus said? In this world, you will have tribulation. I don't care how many times you go to church a week, how much money you give, how much you love Jesus. You're going to have a storm (laughs) coming soon to a house near you. That's what Jesus said, so I'm going to believe him. All right, so there's a Christianity today. It's a minority, but it is a Christianity that implies that if we build wisely, we won't have a storm. Can I suggest your elevator doesn't go to the top floor? Put that idea out of your mind. Every house will have a storm. In Luke 2, when Simeon was prophesying to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who had just brought Jesus to the temple for dedication, said this in Luke 2, verse 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword shall pierce your soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. It's always interesting that whenever Jesus comes on the scene, hearts get uncovered and revealed. Now, when the word comes, that's Hebrews 4, it exposes the thought and intent of the heart. I can't do that. Jesus can do that. I don't know what your motive is. When you get a jury, motive is a big deal in declaring how this trial is going to go. God knows my motive. You know, he knows your motive. He knows my thought. Now, Satan can read my words, but he cannot read my thoughts. So God knows the thought and intent of your heart. And storms reveal the kind of houses that are being built in our lives, or it says in our text, so the foundation can be exposed. So think with me on how storms test the three ways God builds. First, revelationally. That's the revelation to you of who Jesus Christ is, even after you become a Christian. And it's always under attack. That's the greatest attack that comes against a non-believer, the storm against any saving revelation of who Christ is. Uh, Remember in, in Genesis, the first thing the devil does, the first words that are recorded, he talks to Eve, She's telling him what God said, and he says, has God said? In other words, don't pay any attention to what he said. He doesn't mean that. Or keep up with the times. Well, you know, now it's legal to do this or illegal to do that, or now the culture permits this or not. But if Scripture is clear, not not vague or silent, but clear, then I obey it. It's It's that simple. But he said, hath God said. So the enemy wants to keep people, not from the historical Jesus, everybody, even Ricky Bobby, if you remember the movie with Will Ferrell, even Ricky Bobby believed in Jesus, baby Jesus. He's safe in that little manger. But it's the big Jesus who's Lord, who's Savior, who's the Son of God. That's the revelation he doesn't want you to have, see, because that's what saves you. The devil will do anything to prevent anyone from knowing who Jesus Christ actually is. The whole teaching of evolution, Darwinism, humanism is an attack to keep our young people from knowing there is a creator God. 
The current educational systems are humanistic and cleverly designed to blot out the record of history that relates to God. It's a great history, but the young people don't get it. Then second, the attack comes relationally, person to person, married couples. God has designed things so that nobody can do very much alone. Even the Son of God said, I can do nothing by myself. God said to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone, but we think we can build something great by ourselves." But you can't. We have to have relationships. Relationships cause you to grow. That's why the enemy will attack relationships. So God will allow the test so you can discover the relationships he's given you and the ones he hasn't. Now, this could be a business partner. This could be somebody on the team. This could be a marriage. This could be an engagement, two couples dating, and it goes bad. Okay, I can promise you this. Either one or both wasn't building on a rock, and God merely exposed it to save you further heartache in the future. In other words, I'd rather find out sooner than later. Doctors tell you early detection can save your life, right? So I want to know as soon as possible if God's not in this thing. I mean, we've hired people in the past, and I'm sure every company, business, a sheriff, I'm sure you've had them too. They look good on a resume, like a house that looked pretty good. You hired them, and then you found out later, with some time, boy, did I pick the wrong person here. God's not going to bill with this person. In Leviticus 26, verse 8, it says, five shall chase a hundred, a hundred shall put 10,000 to flight. So it's an amazing power we have when we link up. But in Deuteronomy 32, verse 28 through 30, it says, they are a nation without sense. There's no discernment in them. If only they were wise and could understand and discern that their end, what it will be. How could one man chase a thousand or two, put 10,000 to flight, unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? So Moses was saying, those foolish nations have come against Israel. It appeared they were defeating the people of God. And God was saying, you foolish nation, the only reason you could touch my people in defeat is that their rock has given them up. You can't defeat God's people unless God steps back. And he steps back occasionally in our lives because he sees building that won't stand up to the storm. And he's got to reveal it to you. Or because we displease him through our own sin or we're trying to build something he didn't order. Notice, if the rock steps back, it's because there's something he wants exposed. Not for his good, for my good, for your good. Verse 31 says, indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Their rock is sand. So if you think about how God builds in your life, you quickly realize something. Marriages, friendships, church relationships, ministries, businesses, when tested by a storm, will expose what God's doing and what God's not doing. Every time, I don't care what church you join or where you go, you'll have a storm. Somebody may offend you, something done might offend you, and, and it's like you've known people 10 years and they leave. And you think, oh, what a disappointment. You thought it looked good, but they weren't on a rock, you know, and so you, you, you have to suck it up and take that disappointment and say, okay, I got to rebuild. This is what I'm doing is not working. I don't want a cracked foundation in my life. I don't want it in our church, and I certainly don't want it in a marriage, right? Okay. So if your marriage is going to go the long haul, how many times have you heard me say this? It ain't going to be because you're cute. You only get to stay cute for a while. 
about 30 minutes after the wedding. That's about it. And cute kind of goes out the window. You know that's true, right? It'll be because there's a rock in that marriage and in both lives. That's why God calls single people not to marry an unbeliever. Why not? He says, be not yoked together with an unbeliever. See, because the foundation won't be good. And when the storms blow and they're coming, baby, that relationship won't stand. It may look good for a while, maybe for a year or so. It might sound good, but ultimately that foundation will get exposed and there'll be stress and trauma. You don't stay married 40 years, 50 years, 60 years because you got a Burger King marriage. I get it my way. No, you don't get it your way. In fact, most of the time you don't get it your way. But you made a commitment and you're built on the rock. And if Cindy's on the rock and I'm on the rock, there's nothing that we can't reconcile. Nothing. But if she's not, then we can't be reconciled. That's why God doesn't want you to go through that heartbreak. And some of you have been through the heartbreak. Well, for God's sake, don't do it again. You're like a heat-seeking missile looking for a hunk of hunk of burning love. But you better, look, you better find somebody that might be a little pudgy but built on a rock. And they'll stay with you a lot. Can I get an amen? amen? Don't get religious on me. Shoot. You could be on cocaine and understand this. Simple. Matthew 15, verse 10. Jesus called the crowd and he says, listen and understand. What goes into somebody's mouth is not what defiles them, but what comes out of their mouth defiles them. Then the disciples came and says, did you know the Pharisees were offended when you said that? Jesus said, oh, golly, really? I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. He didn't say that. He said, every plant my heavenly father has not planted shall be pulled up by the roots. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall in the pit. Well, Lord, the most religious people we know are upset with your teaching. The nicest people we know are upset with you. Why? What was Jesus teaching? That it isn't what's on the outside like the Pharisees. Man, they dressed up. They had all the cross jewelry. They had the phylacteries. They did this, bowed three times this way, 14 times to the north. They look good. But he says inside they're full of dead men's bones. You can't always judge a book by its cover. I've been picking up a lot of stuff, you know, with Kanye West and his conversion to Jesus, and he's over at, at Lakewood, and I'm hearing a lot of people mouth off, well, I just think it's a PR stunt. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, and for you Catholics, St. Paul. St. Paul said this. He says, I know some preach Christ out of envy or jealousy or for a different motive, but I rejoice that Christ is being preached. That's good. That's good. So get off Kanye's back, you know. We, I, I thank God. I, I hope we get more professional people that, that embrace Jesus in some manner. It, it won't always suit everybody, but maybe you won't either. Cut them a little slack. What happened? A little bit of grace and mercy, you know. Let's, ha let's get a clipboard and evaluate how you're doing. <laughs> Let me ask your wife how you're doing. Yeah, see, Jesus was saying, I don't care how good you look on the outside, it's what's in you that defiles you. So when the Pharisees got upset and the disciples got upset, what did Jesus say? Verse 13, every plant my father didn't plant shall be rooted up. Wow. See, I hope you get the point, folks. The disciples say to Jesus, you've really hurt the feelings of those religious people. Why, they're really mad with you. And Jesus' response was, well, 
If God didn't plant them, they're going to get rooted up no matter how good they look. So the storm or the offense will separate from you what my father has not joined. Let it go because they are blind leaders of the blind. I know that marriage is split over money and sex and all kinds of stuff. But if Christ is at the center of that marriage, I don't know anything else that will hold it together. I really don't. I know it just takes hard gut commitment. They just, they're just days which you're not feeling it. You don't even want to. <laughs> and all the married people, if you're not afraid of your wife, would say, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I know. I know how you feel. I've been married 44 years to the same female over here. I know. Huh? 45. What, what do I know? I'll, I'll probably have to get an Uber home. I don't even know if I remembered it right. See? But if Christ had been at the center of that relationship, there wouldn't have been a divorce. It might need some counseling, might need some tune-up, of course. Marriages can break up, friends can break up, churches can split up. But if Christ is in the middle of that foundation, God said it can't fall. It can't be broken. That's the key. That's all I'm trying to say. So get off to a good start in a relationship, especially in a marriage relationship. If they don't share the same values, you're going to fracture somewhere. There will be a split on this thing somewhere. Now, something in the foundation is off-center if it failed. Something has been left out. Maybe it's one of you. Maybe it's both of you. But it cannot fall if Jesus built it. So do you have any disposable relationships? Huh? You better not have if Jesus puts you together. Because when the Lord puts people together, they're not disposable. Now, how do you know which is which? The storm will reveal it. Jesus said the great commandment was to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's that if it's not relationship? Love God, love your neighbor. That's not hard to remember. Pretty simple. The church Jesus is building is only mentioned by name twice in the New Testament. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Why is it only mentioned twice? Because basically only two things you need to know about it. How to get in, how to stay in. You get in by knowing who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You stay in by knowing who your brothers and sisters are that God has placed you with. And when you fall out with one of your brothers, God says you're supposed to exhaust every avenue to get it right. That extra mile. See, may I say that the most often broken command is not adultery, not lying, not getting drunk. It's failing to make it right with your brother. Hate is at an all-time high in this nation. It is terrible. Matthew 18 is the most often broken commandment in Scripture among Christians. It has to do with walking in relationship. And as long as we continue to ignore the importance of that, well, God can't build much. If you're a tumbleweed, you can't stay connected, and every little thing offends you, you won't stay married, you won't stay in a church, you probably won't stay in a job. And that means God loves you, but He can't build with you. You know, you've got to stay put. Get put down some roots and build a foundation. Build something. You can't build anything worth having quick. About the only thing you can do quick is quit. And they both start with Q. Isn't that cute? So how committed to God's Word are you? If Cindy says to me, you're ugly and I can't stand you, but she's committed to the Word of God, she will stand me. Because she has for 45 years. <laughs> And I have been ugly and whatever. I don't know. But, of course, you, you've had a few off days too, young lady. <laughs> I ain't the only one in this marriage. 
Christ has to be in the center of my life or my marriage. He's not just my Savior. He's my Lord. If I make him my Lord, I do what he says. May not want to, may not like it, but I do it. Feelings don't change that. See, when you're not willing to work it out, you exalt yourself over Jesus because he says forgive and work it out. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. And in Matthew 18, if you won't work it out, he says tell the whole church. See, Jesus wants to expose the person who claims to be a believer but who refuses to be reconciled to a brother that seeks forgiveness. Jesus commands us to put that kind of a person out of the church. I hope you're not nicer than Jesus, right? There are always going to be storms or attacks on our relationships because we're human. But God allows the storm to test your revelation of who Jesus is, to test your relationships, who he's connected you to, and finally to test the generational house. Remember the house he's building is a family. And in the New Testament, sonship is not natural or physical, it's spiritual. God builds the house, Psalms 127, with sons of the house. Listen to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 teachers in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Paul's writing to divisive charismatics. Can you believe that? Yes. Divisive Christians. And there are times in a family you've got to follow, and sometimes as the leader, you just got to lead. And he says in verse 17, for this reason, because of all that mess going on in that spiritual family, I started that church, he said. I have sent to you Timothy, my son, not his physical son, his spiritual son. I've sent Timothy, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. So Paul's argument to divisive spirits in, a, in the church he started is a generational consideration. He says, you've got division. What you need is the spirit of a son. So I'm sending Tim. Somebody that sonship's working in. He's carrying my heart, my spirit, my vision. Receive him as you would me. You know, victory is simply being able to show up. Every day, I show up in my marriage. I show up in my relationships. I'm still here. And Paul is asking us to recognize our God-given placements. And that's all I'm asking us to do. Because you can have 10,000 teachers. You can have 100 million friends on Facebook. You can go to 1,000 conferences but you don't have that many spiritual fathers. You don't have that many placements that are permanent. Find yours and stay connected. You can go to heaven, but God can't build with you, and you won't see much of your purpose fulfilled when you're in the wrong place. If I take coffee trees and take them to Alaska, they're not going to grow. It's a wrong environment. If you take a shark that's eight inches long in an office aquarium, he'll never outgrow the aquarium. But if I take him to the Pacific Ocean, he'll grow to eight feet. See, God places you where you can grow. And by the way, sometimes there's friction when you grow. Don't we say growing pains? Hello, if you're going to grow, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. You get married, you'll find out how uncomfortable it can be. And God is trying to sharpen my character, get rid of some bad uh, habits or uh, my wrong thinking to develop me, and he can't do that if there's no friction. But he doesn't want me to burn out and quit. So he says, I'm sending Tim to remind you of these things. So it's an appeal to that church to recognize Paul's God-given placement in there. He founded it. He's the spiritual father. He's the highest authority. 
Psalms 127 shows us why Paul sent Tim. When God builds the house, this is Psalms 127, he says the children or sons of the house will speak with the enemy in the gates. So the father didn't have to go himself. You can send the son of the house. See, I don't have to be there because my spirit is there with those God joined me to, and they will represent me well. Why do we have storms? Why do we have warfare? Because we're committed to bold confrontation with sin, tradition, nonsense, and rebellion. We want to change our world, plant churches, win souls, and make disciples. That's why we have problems. You become a threat to the enemy, right? I mean, it's so simple. Well, I thought church would just sing a few songs, hear a sweet sermonette, greet a few people, hug a baby, and go home. Well, that's not us, and that's not a New Testament church. We're here to change or make some impact in our world, to change lives, change marriages, and wrong thinking, to produce warriors that can run long distances and finish strong. I don't care when I die. I just want to finish strong. Well, he used to be. Well, he used to do. Well, I don't know what's happened to him. Oh, shut up. That ain't going to happen on my watch. I'm going to finish strong. However that is, short or long, don't care. But I'm thinking you've got to have some kind of a goal in mind too. I don't want to lead for 15 years or 20 years or here 35 years or 45 years and say, oh, Rick and Cindy divorced. You say, well, my God, what happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. We didn't build something right. That's what happened. And enough pressure and storm and time exposed it. How do people stay married? I, I told you before, I couldn't afford to remarry. I got all my assets invested over here. And then you, got, you think about the cost emotionally, the children. Uh, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Cindy and I had the quickest marriage. I'm, I'm almost done. We had the quickest marriage I'd ever seen in my life. I married a couple, and they left and went home separately and annulled it the next day. And I thought, well, that was a first for me. I'd never seen that. So they had to get back all those gifts that had been bought for the, what a nightmare. I, I thought, my goodness, they had gone through marriage counseling, gone through this, and then they decided, I guess, when they said, I do, now nah, I don't think I will. And they went home. I guess looking back now with a little more maturity, it's better then than later. I, I think so. Less damage, you know. People with no roots, no relationships, no accountability to any spiritual authority, no local church home or family, they're saying they're the most spiritual people we know. Nonsense. You ought to be totally unimpressed. But when you decide to get serious about the kingdom of God, all kinds of things start happening. Storms occur. Trouble starts to manifest everywhere because suddenly you become a threat to the enemy. And the enemy is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. And he's got a network of fallen spirits that help him. So he has limited assets. So if you had limited assets, where are you going to focus your attack? Where there is a danger and a threat to you. I'm going to tell you, all the church is not a threat to the enemy. I want to be a threat to the enemy. Ever, ever hear brothers and sisters sing together? They have perfect harmony. Your voice patterns match up because God puts you in the same family with that DNA. The Osmond brothers, Jackson 5, what incredible harmony. When you're in the family, you can sing harmony because God puts you there. Now, you might sing alto, tenor, bass, or soprano, but you can sing with that group because God puts you in that family. 
And if God joins you here in this church family, you can sing harmony. You're a compatible donor. The body only rejects foreign parts. So storms please God. Psalms 138, last verse, verse 8. The stormy wind fulfills God's word. What's his word? He builds on a rock. But you can't tell by looking at the exterior of anybody whether or not somebody's on a rock or not. So God lets the storm test. And you'll soon discover what isn't built on the rock. And sometimes it's disheartening and it's disappointing. The enemy doesn't want you to think generationally. And that's the last attack. See, generational ministries that are one-generational ministries are no threat because you can't build much that quick. We had dinner at a party the other night with a couple that had a father that started in 1955, a spice business. It's now spread throughout Texas and H-E-B and all of them. It's passed on to him and his brothers, and they're passing it on to the third generation. And I thought, now that's a legacy. That's how you do it. Old Papa started the thing, sweated it out, got it profit, then put it to his son. He's still involved in it at 91, the, the, the daddy. And now he, the son, is now investing it in his kids. And it just gets bigger and better. And we got to think like that as a church. This is just a startup. But we want to pass it on to the next generation that can do a whole lot more with it. Don't worry about anything built real quick. It will, usually won't last. And God has a different way of looking at things than we do. He doesn't wear a watch. I'm always in a hurry. I wouldn't line up for free money. I just hate it, you know. I'm impatient. But we think we're it. But from God's perspective, we're just a small dot on a screen. We think short-term, God thinks generationally. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's thinking way out. We don't think past lunch. So I may be only building the framework for what God's going to do in the next generation. Same for you raising a child. You're not the main thing. Maybe it's going to be that kid or that kid's kid. So we're sowing into a future generation, you know. So I want to deal with it. You know, I came out of an unfathered generation. What do we do? Give up, suck our thumb, take Maylocks, become serial killers? No, we discover the deficiencies. We make the corrections and the investment for the next generation. Starting right now. But that'll take the rest of my life, Rick. Well, what else you going to do? Yeah, get going. Let's be a generation that produces a heritage we can pass on to the next generation. Let's believe those kids in the nursery will serve on the board of elders 25 years from now. My kids and yours can be left with a spiritual family and memorials. People who remember when we started, how we started, when we built, when we added to that building. See, where's that attitude among typical Christian people today? Charismatics have been a people with a nomadic person that move here, move there. Go to this gas station, fill up. Go to the next gas station. At some point, you have to realize God's not setting up filling stations. He's setting up dealerships. It's God and Sons Incorporated. So remember, and we're done. The purpose of the storm is to show us where our building has been faulty. That's all. The storm is not to cry over. You know, tear the thing down, start over, and build it right. It's not too late. Learn to rejoice when some of your building falls down because it was just an illusion anyway. See, a false relationships, a false outward appearance, and it wasn't real. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.